don't like criticism, do we? How many of you enjoy it? Like to be criticized and picked on? Here, perhaps you've heard this story before. I don't know. But uh, it's a story about an elderly lady who went to, gro- to the grocery store to do some shopping. And when she returned to her car, she noticed that there were four men getting into it. The woman dropped her shopping bags and she reached into her purse and, and she pulled out a small handgun that she carried for protection. And she ran to the front of her car. She aimed the pistol at the men and began screaming at the top of her lungs. And she ordered them out of the car. The woman, and she warned them that if they didn't get out, that she would shoot to kill. I know how to use this gun and don't think I won't, she screamed. The four men didn't hesitate. They, they threw open the car doors, they scrambled out, and they started running as fast as they could. That was when the woman realized that she was trembling, but she did manage to keep her composure. When she was certain the men were gone, she put the gun back in her purse, and she picked up her bags, and she loaded them into the back seat of the car. Then she climbed into the driver's seat, and she decided to go immediately to the police department to report the incident. But there was a small problem. Her key wouldn't fit the ignition. And a quick glance around the interior confirmed that she was indeed in the wrong car. Her vehicle was parked four spaces away in the same aisle of the parking lot. So she loaded her bags into her own car, and she drove to the police station to confess what she had done. When she told the story to the sergeant, he couldn't control his laughter. He just pointed to the other end of the counter where four very shaken men were reporting a carjacking by a mad, armed, elderly woman. (laughs) The woman apologized and no charges were filed. Have you ever been in a situation where uh, you were wrong, but you were convinced you were right, and you argued, and you yelled, and you screamed, and even after you were proven wrong, you continued to stand on, I don't do things like that, right, honey? No. <laughs> How many of, let's, let's have some confession time here. How many of you are so stubborn that you continue arguing even after you realize you're wrong? <laughs> Most of the men are raising their hands. I don't know, what does that say about it? Eva, too. Okay, that's shocking. And then... <laughs> I can't, you know, it's funny to, it's funny to think about, I'm going to, here's the thing is, is, is we don't like to be criticized. We don't like to be wrong. We sometimes do make bad judgment calls though. I mean, it's just reality, isn't it? We do it. Now I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to tell you two short stories about personal true stories that I've experienced in my personal life. And I want to compare and contrast them a little bit. Okay. The first story is this, a few years back, uh, Cheryl and I went to her uh, high school 20-year reunion. And uh, she went to high school over on the other side of Atlanta. And so uh, and it was a small school. So we went and, and we gathered there and we met with, uh, you know, we got to meet with their people. We met in a restaurant and had a good time that night. And we ended up afterwards going over to someone's house and, and spending a little time over there. Well, she introduced me to one of her really good friends from high school, a male. And, uh, and he... Uh, Real nice guy came up, and, and we were chatting and talking. And about that time, as he was talking, he turned around and introduced me to his boyfriend. And, uh, yeah, well, I don't think marriage was legal at the time. But it was a boyfriend at the time. He introduced me to his boyfriend. And so, it, you know, it took me a second to, you know, just thought through a second. And I'm, there's really nothing more to the story than that. We ended up chatting, having a good evening, and getting know. Here, here's the question. As a, as a Christian who knows what God's word says and, and that I believe in God's plan, that homosexuality goes against that plan, 
how should I respond to someone who I meet in that situation? Well, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that phrase and some things like that, but the, the question stands is how do I, as a Christian who knows what God's word says, respond in situations like that? I mean, we know situations today, um, just recently, with, with the Supreme Court ruling on, on gay marriage, with what's come out in the media about Planned Parenthood and abortion, uh, with all the things that surround Bruce Jenner and his you know, change. What, how do we as Christians respond to those things? And, and it's been interesting to watch as I've observed these things happening, a wide variety of reactions, whether you're looking at social media, Twitter and Facebook, whether you're just talking in the cafe down the street or in the restaurant with someone, everybody's got an opinion. But how do we as Christians respond to that? That's a tough question, isn't it? Because it seems like no matter which direction you go, there's somebody there with a finger in your face telling you you're wrong, isn't there? No, well, there you go. But, but where do we as Christians take a stand? How do we respond when we're in those situations? What is the right way to handle it? What would God want from us, I think, is the bigger question. Not just what keeps me comfortable, what keeps me from having a confrontation, what keeps me out of uncomfortable situations, but what's right. What would God have me do in those settings? It's a tough question. Here's another situation I was in a few years back at the church I used to be on staff with. I wasn't involved in this situation, but I knew of it because I was on staff. There was a couple that had uh, started coming to the church, and they were getting really involved, and, uh, and they, were, they were excited. They were on fire, and, and they, were, they were great people. We loved having them there, and they were, they were getting involved right off the bat and really getting involved in stuff. And it wasn't long before we realized that they had some gifts, and, and he had a gift for teaching. Well, a few months had passed, and he approached the leadership and asked for an opportunity to teach a Sunday school class. Well, there was one small problem that we had to deal with, we had to wrestle with as a leadership. The couple was living together, but they weren't married. And we know what God's plan is and design is for marriage relationships and, and being together. And, and so while we, in, in the eldership, and I, I remember being in some of these discussions but not really a part of them, just getting to listen and observe, how do we respond? We don't want this couple to leave us. We love having them here. We don't want them to feel condemned or put down. But to take a position of leadership where they are going to be teaching God's word, we... We need to have people in that position who are following God's word. That was a real dilemma we were wrestling with. And ultimately, the decision was that we need to go have a conversation with this couple and, and share with them that we love having them here and we love having them be a part. But if he's going to lead, then he needs to, their lifestyle needs to be in alignment with God's word. And we just want to encourage you in that and challenge you in that. And unfortunately, when they went and had that conversation, there were accusations of being judgmental and, and legalistic. Uh, those things came. There was a lot of anger, and they ended up leaving the church over it. And it was heartbreaking to watch because what's the, what's the right way to deal with that? We didn't want them to leave the church. I know our elders didn't want them to leave the church. But to take a step up into a position of leadership, 
that was a different ball game. What's the right way to, to deal with that? Was that the right way to deal with it? And those are some heavy questions that I think Jesus gets to in this part of the Sermon on the Mount today as we look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. The difference between those two situations I described to you at the high school reunion and our, my personal response to that setting and the situation with the church and the couple. I will put before you today, and I believe Jesus will explain in several different ways in his words, that there were two very distinct responses called for and different responses called for in each of those situations. And I think it's important that we talk about these are just two examples. And there's no blanket saying, okay, when this happens, you do this, and when you, this happens, you do this, but in more general terms. What's the principle? What's the heart behind how we as Christians should stand on and reflect God's word into our culture and our society? I think that's a vitally important question. I think we need to know or stand. Here's a point. You've heard accusations about being judgmental. I mentioned before, with all the hot-button issues that have been out there lately, and people are going out there and, and blasting out on Facebook you know, their opinions about you know, whether it's gay marriage or abortion rights or whatever. And people want to blast these things out there on Facebook. And, and then the second somebody starts arguing, you got a big fight. And everybody has a different way of approaching it. Even Christians are arguing among themselves about how to respond to these things. And, you know, and, but that word, that word that seems to always come out when these conversations get started, you're being judgmental. You're being hateful. You've, you've, you've heard these. You know that people in the church, we get this, the second that we try to to refer to God's word or take a stand on a moral issue. That's what we're called. We're called judgmental. We're called hypocrites. And I just want to put before you this idea. I believe that the word judgment is the most misused, misunderstood, and misunderstood, and misapplied concept in all of the Bible. I believe that this is one of, when you look at Matthew 7, 1, I believe this is one of the most misunderstood and misused and misapplied passages in all the Bible. And I think it's important, I think Jesus went on to describe it, and I think it's important that we take some time today to talk about it. I'm not getting into issues today. We're not going to talk about the, the debate about gay marriage or abortion or, or anything else. That's not what this sermon's about. It's about how would God have us as Christians respond to our culture and respond to the people around us. How would he have us apply Matthew 7, 1 through 6? And so today we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about it, I think, from, from this context. Look at this next statement up here on the screen, and I want you to, to understand this. This is where we're going to go with it today. There is a difference between prideful judgment and humble correction. It requires careful self-examination. And we're going to talk about several aspects of this. That there is a difference between prideful judgment and humble correction, and it requires careful self-examination. And so I'm going to explain what that means as we go. Well, my prayer is, no matter where you stand on social issues, that's not really the point today. The point is, how do we, as Christians, respond when we're facing these? I want to look at the difference between judgment and discernment. I want to look at the difference between 
what Jesus is saying and what people think he's saying. And so, if you will, dig in with me. Let's look at Matthew 7, the first two verses real quick. Let's talk about this. Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2, Jesus' words say this. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Here's... Here's the question, or, or this, is, this is not really a question, but it's just kind of a statement of truth. And I'm going to get around to explaining this in just a second, but here's a statement of truth I want you to think about. We would rather face grace than judgment. Agreed? In your own life, you would rather face grace than judgment, correct? Okay, well, we're going to get to that. We're going to talk about it a little bit more, and I think it'll help us understand the bigger picture of Jesus' words here. Now, the original Greek word here, when Jesus says, do not judge, we understand that it can be translated from the original Greek, it meant judge, condemn, discern, and it closely relates to the English word criticize. Okay, so when we start understanding, we, the difficulty, I think, too, in understanding when we start talking about calling people judgmental or not being judgmental or not judging others and things like that, one of the keys is understanding what we're saying. What does that word mean? And really, at the end of the day, it's talking, it interchangeably uses these words, correct, rebuke, and uh, uh, discipline, criticize, all these words can kind of mean the same thing. And so that gets kind of confusing because where do we stand? Jesus says, do not judge. The problem is, and, and you've heard me say this before, you've heard me use this phrase, context is king, right? Context is the moment. When you're looking at scripture and you're taking a phrase and you're taking a scripture or a passage and you're trying to study it and understand what it means, you've got to learn how to study scripture within its context, right? We can't just pick scriptures out of the air and, and, and not know what the author means by it, what's happening on either side of it, who they're speaking to their audiences. All those things are important. We've got to look at the bigger picture, and we've got to discern, does this one verse in isolation fit what we know the whole of Scripture to say? Do they fit? We've got to use discernment when studying Scripture. And one thing that, that happens, I believe, a lot with this Matthew 7, 1, do not judge, or you too will be judged, is people will say, look at that, bam, do not judge, drop the mic, shut up and don't criticize. You know, and that's what happens, right? That's what you, there are some people, and you know good and well, you have people in your life, the second you open your mouth to say anything critical, do not judge. Jesus said it himself, bam, walking off. You know, you've heard it before, right? We've all dealt with that. Maybe you've used it. Maybe you've used this verse in that way. But the bottom line is, if you look, there's no way you can look at the entirety of this passage or the rest of the New Testament or the rest of the Bible and believe that Jesus' intent here is to say we're never to judge situations, behavior, actions, motive. That's not at all what Jesus is saying when we look at the context of this passage. And I think it's important that we understand that he's not saying that, but also understand what he really is saying. And we're going to go on to examine this a little bit further as we read on. But listen, I want you to, just to give you an example of some other things that are said in the New Testament that would, if you just take, do not judge, or you two will be judged. That verse alone, and just say, well, there it is, don't judge, we're not to judge. And, and you see that that's kind of ridiculous to take it that way when you look at verses like John seven twenty four, where Jesus says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge 
correctly. Or in 2 Timothy 4.2, where the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy and says, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. How can you do that without judging? You can't. How about Proverbs? Want to go to the Old Testament? 12.1, the wisest man in the world wrote this. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates Correction is stupid, (laughs) kind of blunt. There is no way you can look at the entirety of Scripture and the context of this passage and draw the conclusion that we are never to make judgments or to discern when we see behavior, ideas, and actions that are contrary to God's Word. Further, you cannot draw the conclusion that we should keep our mouths shut about God's standard based on God's Word. We are called to teach and correct and rebuke and help people see and understand the truth of God's word. Look at the very next verse, verse 2, that we already read. Verse 2 simply says, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you used, use, it will be used against you. You know, Jesus goes on and says, I think the fact that we have judgment and that we use judgment in our lives is a foregone conclusion. conclusion. God gave us a brain. He gave us the ability to analyze and to see situations. And we have a certain standard that we love, regardless of whether your standard is God's word or some other standard. You have a standard that you live your life by. You have a determined set of criteria that you have determined in your life that says this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad. And every that, that's the lens through which you view the world. We call that a worldview. And as you're looking at the world through that lens, you're making judgments every minute of every day, aren't, aren't you? It's impossible to say that Jesus meant do not judge. That would mean turn your brain off and drop your standards. That isn't at all what Jesus was getting with. You see, I think we have to understand that Jesus was saying this. He was saying, how are you going to apply judgment? You see, I think there's a phrase that, as I interpret this scripture, that I think is important. It says, I I think there's another way. When you look at the full context, and you tell me at the end of this message, you can tell me an immersion, if you agree with this at the end of this message or not. But I think one way that we can interpret, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge, you too will be judged. I think another way to say that is, I think another way to say it would be, do not judge others until you're prepared to be judged by the same standard. And do it with great humility, not pride. And I think by the end of this message, you'll come to a place where you see that's what Jesus was saying. It's just too easy to take that one verse in a vacuum and apply it to everything. So now let's get back to the statement. I would rather face God's grace than God's judgment. Wouldn't you? Why? Well, because his judgment is going to be fair. His judgment is going to be true, and it's going to be based on how I live my life. And you know what? When I compare that to his righteousness, if that is what I'm going to face, I'm doomed because I'm not good and I'm not righteous. I don't want to face God's judgment. And Jesus says, look, in the way that you judge, you too will be judged. And the measure you use will be measured against you. Man, 
I want to be measured by the grace of God, not by his judgment. And so while we do look at this world through a worldview that says, yes, I do make judgments each and every day and I take a stand, it isn't a question of whether I make judgments or not. It's a question of how I apply those judgments. It's a question of when I see something that doesn't fit the standard that I believe to be true. For me, it's God's word. When I look at God's word and I know what his word has to say about some of these hot button issues we've talked about or anything else going on in your life, when I look at the world through his word, I make judgments about whether something is wrong or not, whether somebody's behavior or ideas or actions fit into that or not. We all do. The question is, how do I apply what I see to my relationship with that person? How do I handle it? How do I move forward? Just like the situations I described in the two stories earlier. The young man I met at the reunion or the couple that was coming to our church. You see, I think we have to be clear that though I would rather face God's grace We have to understand that grace is not ignoring sin and pretending it doesn't exist. Grace is not patting someone on the back and saying they're fine, living in a way that's clearly against God's standard. That's not what grace is. Grace is helping people understand the standard of God's word and helping them embrace it along with God's grace. You see, we all need it. I need it. I need God's grace because even though I know what his standard is, I fall short of it all the time. And when we start looking at others through that same lens and saying, I know you may or may not believe what I believe, but you're falling short of the standard I know to be God's word, but you know what? I do too. And I need his grace. And and I want to extend God's grace to you and I want to help you understand it. That's not ignoring sin. It's drawing them in to understand what it is. It's helping them see it. How do we do that? How do we understand the? And, and so I think as we begin learning about extending grace, we need to look at the next part of this passage, verses 3 through 5, chapter 7. Matthew 7, 3 through 5, further expands our context and understanding of this passage. Now we've laid the groundwork. Let's look at really Jesus' full context here. It says this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And here's the truth I want you to think about here. The thing that we need to do when we look at this passage, it's as simple as this. Apply God's word to yourself before you try to apply God's word to others. Apply God's word to your own life. If you want to be right, when Jesus said, do not judge you to be judged, you too will be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. When he, when he says that's going to be the standard, he goes on to explain, I know you're going to judge. What I'm saying is, Understand that if you're going to try to shine the light of God's word on everyone around you and hold them to the standard, you better make sure you've started with yourself. 
You better make sure you've applied it and shined it onto your own life before you start trying to shine it elsewhere. Because maybe their issue isn't your issue. Maybe the thing that they're struggling with has never been a struggle for you. You know how easy it is to look down our noses at somebody who's dealing with something that we don't struggle with? You ever done that before? Come on, nod your head yes. Okay? We all have. But guess what? When you start shining God's word on your life, what does it reveal? What does it show you? Are you willing to endure the pain of God's light shining on your heart before you start trying to shine it on others? That's a tough question. You see, I think we've got to look at two things from these three verses, Matthew 3 through 5, 7, 3 through 5. First is this. You can't deal with the sin of others while you're openly and comfortably living in your own sin. This is, let's be honest, the very definition of hypocrisy. Of course, I want to say this too. None of us in this room is perfect. There's no human walking the face of this earth is perfect. Now, some people want to say, you're being judgmental because I know you're not perfect, therefore you don't have the right to point out anybody else's sin. That's what Jesus said. Take the speck of, or the plank out of your own eye before you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, deal with the sin in your life. Examine it. Come to a place of repentance. It's not, doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean you can't ever be critical, correct, point out, try to help someone else along. Doesn't mean that's, that, that, that's true. What he's saying is, look at and let the light of God's love and his word shine on your life first so that you can deal with the sin that's in your life, and we all have it. Then you'll be able to see so that you can remove the speck out of your brother's eye. And that's an important thing. That doesn't go along at all with do not judge, does it? And he does say, then you can remove the speck from your brother's eye. There does come a place when we have the right to do so. But that brings me to the second point. The second thing that I take out of this is it is critically important to understand who our brother is. Okay? When we're looking at this and we say, it says, when you take the plank out of your eye, then you can see the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and remove it. Okay, a couple things to think about with that. First of all, your brother is somebody that you already have a relationship with, right? Someone that you've already got a relationship in which you have the right to speak. I think it's so important we need to understand. If we're going to start expecting that I have the right to shine God's word and his standard onto somebody else's life, once I've already dealt with the sin in my life, I still have to understand that I need to have a relationship with them in which I have the right to speak, that they can trust me, and that they will hear what I'm saying without, without being offended by it, but knowing that I love them. There's nothing worse than a Christian trying to impose their standards on someone else. They have no relationship with them, and it just comes across as hateful and vindictive and judgmental, to use that word. But when you have a relationship with that person when you have the right to speak and they know your heart, they know you care about them, then suddenly you have the ability to speak into their life. There's another thing, a second thing when you talk about what brother means. 
When he's talking to his disciples here and he's using the word brother, he's clearly referring to those who share your standards, those who are in the church with you. That's your brother, those who share your standards. And that's an important thing to think about. And we'll get to that in actually verse 6 here in just a second. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But here's the point. We've got to understand that if we're going to take and deal with the, the plank out of our eye and deal with the sin in our life, then turn around and try to help our brother. We need to make sure they're our brother. How we apply that to our brother is different than how we would apply it to someone we don't know. We can't expect people we don't know to accept our criticism and our judgment, and we can't expect people who don't believe what we believe to accept and live by the standards that we claim to live by. See, when we try to correct and rebuke without the context of a relationship that gives us a right to do so, or when we expect those who do not share our faith to live by our standards, we must realize that we're probably going to push them further away from God rather than drawing them closer. And that's important. Here's a good rule to live by, and I thought about this this week. Apply humility and do it like this. Always think about the sin in your life as being at least as bad as everyone else's. Always. Always. I don't care how good you think you are. Always step back and say, you know what? I see some things that bother me. I see some things that aren't living up to my standard. But before I say anything, I'm going to acknowledge the fact that I've got sin in my life too and it's just as dirty and filthy as their sin, at least. And when you start doing that, it develops a humility that gives you the ability to approach them in the context of a relationship and a common standard that gives you the ability to speak into their life. We don't want to push people away from God because of our judgment. We want to draw them in. And that's what Jesus' whole point in this whole passage was. I don't want you pushing people away from me with judgment. I want you drawing them to me with grace. And the only way to do that is you've got to make judgments. You've got to see God's word and see how they're living. I want you to apply it through a lens of grace, not through a lens of judgment and hatred. Matthew 7, 6. Let's look at this last verse of this section. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, what does that mean? Think about this. I want to tell you, we must use discernment and wisdom in reaching the lost. We must use discernment and wisdom in reaching the lost. Jesus is straight and to the point here. If you judge a non-believer and you expect them to live by a godly standard, you can expect two things to happen, especially if that non-believer is hostile towards the gospel. First of all, they're going to reject your correction outright. And the second thing they're going to do is they're probably going to turn around and attack you in return because they're going to take what you just did as an attack, not as a loving correction. Why? Because you didn't have the relationship with them because they didn't share your standard. Because they're hostile towards God's word for some reason. It's one thing to boldly proclaim and stand on God's word, but it's another to use wisdom and discernment 
to know when taking such a stand will help or when it will do great damage in trying to show the love of God to someone. Judgment. Criticism. Correction. Rebuke. These are harsh words, let's be honest. And they're words that we don't like to use. In the full context of Jesus' message here in this passage, we must understand that there's a difference in how they're applied to those of us inside the church who have a relationship with one another versus those who are not inside the church and do not share our beliefs and do not share our standards. Look, Matthew 18 is another passage that talks clearly about the role of correction and discipline and rebuke and within the church, judgment. Look at what it says. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Doesn't mean you execute them. It just simply means that they're no longer part of that fellowship. They've rejected it. If a, as fellow believers, I really believe we are called to hold each other accountable. I don't know why that's doing that, but... As fellow believers, we're called to hold each other accountable and to correct each other. But for those outside the church, it begins by winning them with the love of God and allowing the Holy Spirit of God to do his work in them. So do you see the difference? At the beginning of this message, I mentioned a few of the hot-button issues that we're dealing with in our culture, and we all know them, and we've all heard about them, and we've probably had discussions and arguments and stress and Anxiety over thinking about them. But the real question is this. When I look at Jesus' words and it says, do not judge or you too will be judged. But then he goes on to start talking about the measure in which we judge and removing the plank from our eye so that we can help remove the speck of sawdust from theirs. We understand that, that Jesus was making clear there's a distinction in your life with the people you're dealing with. You see, on the one hand, you have a body of believers, a family, a church family, people who share your standard, people that you are brothers and sisters with. And in the context of that, we not only have the right, we have the responsibility to lovingly correct and, and hold each other accountable and to help each other become closer. If I come to you out of love and say, I see some things going on in your life, and I want... I want to help you see God's plan for this. And I want to help you get to a place where you're accountable to that and you can correct that in your life. That's not me being judgmental. That's me doing my job as a fellow brother, trying to help you get on track in your relationship with God. But if I don't know you from Adam, if you're not a Christian and don't share those standards with me, my job is to love you and to help you understand that the grace of God is there for you too. And I want nothing more than for you to come in and hear about that and allow the Holy Spirit of God to bring you to a place that you understand these things. You see, the, the, the man we met at Cheryl's class reunion, 
we had a great time talking that night, and we talked openly about the fact that I'm a pastor in the church, and we talked openly about about some of the issues surrounding homosexuality and some of those things. We talked very openly about it, but I tried so hard to make it clear to him, I'm not here to pass judgment on you. That's not my job. This is what God's word says. And I would love for nothing more for you to accept God's word as your standard in your life too and come to a place in your own life where you accepted that standard. But if you choose to reject it, I can still love you and care about you as a human being. My heart breaks for your soul. But the couple that was in the church and wanted to lead, they needed to allow the elders to be able to speak into their life. They clearly were a couple searching for spirituality and a relationship with God, and they had a lot of great gifts. And if they had only allowed brothers and sisters to help draw them in closer to what God's will was, man, who knows what kind of impact they could have had in that church as leaders. But they didn't want to hear it. Here's the thing. We judge. But without using grace and love, there's nothing left at the end but just judgment. And none of us wants to face God's judgment. But when we start looking into people's lives and we're able to demonstrate to them that we care about them, that we love them, and God's grace is there for them just like it is for me. And I know I'm not perfect, but man, I'm trying. I'm trying to live a righteous life. And I fail every day, but I get back up, I dust myself off, and I try again. And because I'm shining God's light, his word onto my life, I want to shine it towards you as well and give you a chance to see it. And when I'm doing that with grace and love, then I've got a chance to draw people to him, not push them away. And so I think it's important that we understand what Jesus meant when he said, do not judge. He was saying, look at how you apply it. Take the brother and lead them towards me and correct them. Take the non-believer and love them and show them the grace of God. And when we learn how to apply that and to, and to discern when and how and where we should speak, and I'll just give you a hint, Facebook is almost never the right place. <laughs> okay? When we learn how to start applying that in our personal relationships and our lives, then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the full context of what Jesus was trying to ultimately say, I want you to love people and draw them to me. Quit pushing people away by expecting them to live up to your lofty standards as you look down your nose at them with your pride and your arrogance. Let's come before him and let's come before those in our lives with some humility and with shining the, God's, the light of God's word on my heart and my life. It will shine on the light of life of others. It will. That's an important lesson. This is one of those messages I'm not really sure how to end. <laughs> but I do want us to take it this way. Maybe 
Maybe you've been guilty of looking down your nose a little pridefully at others. Maybe you're on the other end of that and you know there are some things in your own life that you need to let God's light shine on, that you need to correct. Uh, You probably do. I do. But whichever place you're standing right now, how do you need to respond to this message today? Maybe there's somebody in our life that we need to go apologize to because of the way we've treated with our judgment. But then again, maybe there's somebody in our life we need to sit down with and say, look, I'm telling you this because I love you. And I want you to hear this. You've got to have the wisdom and discernment to know which is called for. Pray about it. Seek God's guidance out for it. But that's the call. That's the challenge. I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing a closing song. It's Joan's request. It is well with my soul. I hope it is. I hope it's well with your soul as we sing this song. But respond how you need to. If, if you want, I'm not going to get up and play guitar today. I'm going to stand right here. If you want to come pray, if you've got something on your heart that you need to pray about, if you need to respond to this message somehow, maybe, maybe this church is one that you haven't said, I want to be associated with this church. I want to officially call you my brothers. And you want to come forward and join this church, and we can definitely talk about that. Maybe you've never aligned yourself with God. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you know it's time to do that. I want to hold this standard in my life. And that's something you need to do today. Come forward. Talk to me. We'll, we'll have that conversation. That's what this invitation time. Respond somehow to this message. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our opportunity to, to gather in your place, to come together as a church family, to, uh, to not just worship, but to, to look into your word and allow the light of your word to shine brightly on us. And it hurts sometimes. This particular passage is a hard one. But God, I pray that through shining the light of your word on our hearts, we can come to a place where we can begin being your light in this world, shining your light so others can begin seeing the reflection in their own lives and draw nearer to you because of it. God, there's somebody in this room who needs to respond to this message today, and I pray that they will. I pray that they'll come before you with their hands open. I pray that they will respond exactly the way your Spirit's leading them to. We love you. We praise you. And we ask all these things in your name.